Father, we do believe that you are the way and the truth and the life. And that we can't have any of that unless we come to you. We can't go to the Father unless we come to you. And, and we come to you because we need you to make a way in our lives. You know where we're hurting. You know what our needs are. And we trust you today to heal, to restore, to provide, to encourage, to comfort. Father, we know that we're sinners and we, and we often do things that do not please you. We ask you to forgive us for the way that we've offended someone, for the way we've offended the Spirit. Father, we are sometimes guilty of, of not doing the right thing individually and as the people of God. Forgive us when we don't do what we should do. And God, we, we pray that you help your church to, to be strong, to be united, to be of one mind and one spirit, to, to be passionate after you. Provide your spirit the power of your spirit not missed. Provide the people that step up as ministers of the gospel, every believer, a minister. Provide the finances that your church needs to do what you've entrusted to it. And God, we, we pray that you would use this church to be a witness of your love in our community and around the world. We know there are many places where people are hurting. We thank you for Tracy Hughes and, and her travels around the world looking at places where people need mercy and help. And, and just like every place she visited, we know there are other places that need the light of the gospel, that need the love and compassion of Jesus and the church. So open our eyes, provide the resources, and mobilize us to be your people. As we open up the scriptures today, we pray that you speak to us. We pray for marriages. We pray for single people. We pray for us to hear what you have in store for us. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. I have the opportunity as pastor to uh, be a part of weddings often, and sometimes uh, there are small weddings that happen even in my office or in someone's backyard or uh, in a chapel. Uh, and sometimes there are big weddings, big weddings that are like destination weddings where we travel to a place and we're at a resort and, and couples sometimes go to great lengths to make the day very special, to make sure that they have a good venue, to make sure that there's a good menu, uh, to make sure there's good music and, and flowers and all of these things and all those things cost money, right? And, and it seems like weddings get more expensive every time. But when you think about weddings and how much people invest, how much couples invest in the day of the wedding, I, I remind couples, listen, it's not just the day of your wedding you need to invest in, you need to invest in your marriage. That you'll spend more time being married than at the wedding. 
Wedding just lasts a few hours, but, but marriage is supposed to be for a lifetime. So invest in that. We're in our study in the book of Ephesians and uh, today's message is called a spiritual marriage. We uh, are in a series that we're calling called and accountable. The first three chapters of the book of Ephesians talk about the nature of our call, who we are in Christ, our identity. And then the last three chapters talk about practical applications to our call. How do we live out this calling? How, how, do, how, how do we live a life worthy of the calling that we have in Christ? And so beginning with chapter four, Paul begins to give very practical advice to believers about how to walk in newness, about how to avoid darkness, and all of these instructions are general for the people of God. They're for the people of God, but for all of us. And then he begins to sort of focus in on special groups within the church as chapter four continues. He'll speak directly to husbands, he'll speak directly to wives, he'll speak to children, he'll speak to uh, slaves and to and to masters so that they can understand the implications of the Christian life in every area of life. And so uh, we began today uh, specifically by looking at husbands and wives. And so uh, this is, uh, as we unpack these over the next couple of weeks, today we focus on the marriage relationship. So I'd like to invite you to go with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 21 through 33. Ephesians chapter uh, 5, rather, <clears throat> excuse me, verses 21 through 33. The Bible says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is a savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without strain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So these instructions are for married people. So if you're married, pay close attention because there's something here for you. If you're planning to be married at some point in your life, still listen because this will help you uh, prepare and know what you're looking for. If you're single and plan to stay single, then still listen because there's something for you here today as you encourage others who are married and as you live out your singleness for Christ also. So throughout the entire letter to the Ephesians, Paul is telling his readers how they are different from their pagan, from their pagan surroundings. He's saying, look, you are different now that you are in Christ. And, and, and this is the way that your life should be different from all those people that serve other gods. 
And I think for us today, we need to hear the same word. There, there are differences between those who follow Christ and those who don't know Christ. And so the question that comes to us today, how is the married life of a Christ follower different than that of unbelievers? How is Christian marriage different from the marriage of people who don't know Jesus? Now we have plenty of lessons and messages from non-Christian sources about marriage. We see them on TV, we see them in movies, we see them in conversations, we see them in social media. But what is the difference when there are followers of Christ who are married? And our text answers that question. And if I were to summarize it in one sentence, in one phrase, I would say it this way. Marriage is a relationship between a husband and a wife and Christ, which gives witness to the gospel. In other words, marriage is a spiritual thing. It's not just a contractual agreement. It is not just another human relationship. It is not just a romantic affair, but it is a spiritual thing. And so I want to talk about three things that show how marriage, Christian marriage is spiritual. And the first one is because it is a lasting bond. Now, when you think about, uh, 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 you know, a thread that, that you put through a needle, and when you think maybe about a piece of yarn, you know that a piece of yarn is a little stronger than one single thread. And then when you think about a rope, then you know that the rope is stronger. If you ever had to hold on to something, you probably don't want to hold on to a thread. You probably don't want to hold on to a piece of yarn. You probably want to hold on to a rope. And if you do, then, then you understand what the scriptural writer says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12. He says this, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You see, Christian marriage is a cord of three strands. It's like a rope that has not one strand, not two strands, but multiple strands, and it makes it strong. And Christian marriage consists of husband and wife and Christ. Our text begins with the admonition that we should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he goes on to say that wives ought to submit to their husbands as unto the Lord, that husbands ought to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And over and over again in the passage, he talks about Christ. Eight times it mentions Christ. That means that Christ is an integral part of a Christian marriage. Christ is present. I often hear couples who talk to me about doing church weddings and they say, we would like to do a church wedding even if they don't go to church. They say, we would like to do a church wedding because we would like God's blessing on our marriage. And, and I think that's great. I, I appreciate that. But, but I tell them, look, let's not think of God's blessing as something that so magically happens the day of your wedding, and then you can go on and live life however you want. You see, God's blessing is not just for the day of your wedding. Christ wants to be present every day of your marriage. He is a part of your marriage relationship. You don't leave Christ at the wedding altar. He goes with you and is present. Christian marriage is spiritual because the husband relates to his wife out of his relationship with Christ. A Christian marriage is spiritual because the wife relates to her husband out of her relationship with Christ. 
The stronger the relationship is with Christ, the stronger the marriage can be. The stronger the love is for Christ, the stronger the love in the marriage can be. We often use a simple illustration of a triangle when we talk to couples and we tell them, you know, God should be at at the very highest level of your relationship. And then you have the husband and the wife. And the closer that you get to God, the closer you become to each other. And that's easily, uh, it's a visual that you can see in this triangle, but it is a profound thing that, that our marriage relationship is strengthening as we grow in our relationship with Christ. God is love. He designed marriage. He models love for us. And so as we go to him, as we know him, then he is the source of our love in our marriage relationship. Marriage is a beautiful thing. How many say amen? Marriage is a hard thing. How many say amen? There were more amens a second time. (laughs) Marriage is both a beautiful thing and it's a difficult thing, you know. Divorce rates are are evidence that marriage is not easy. I, I looked up divorce rates currently and I found a study that does it by ages and and you know the 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 increase in divorce rate over the decades is it's sometimes a little discouraging now it's interesting that the light blue line the less the the lower divorce rate belongs to millennials I don't know why that is I don't know if they just don't get married or, or or what it is but it's it might be an encouraging thing your marriage is not going to last because uh, you're going to have this romantic feeling that lasts forever. I hear couples saying, well, we're, we're just going to split because we fell out of love. Well, did you expect your marriage to always be this sort of, uh, you know, Cupid, Valentine's kind of thing 24-7? That's not how a marriage works. Maybe you think that marriage is some kind of magic formula or, or that if you keep a checklist, kind of like the maintenance of your car at so many thousand miles, you do this, check, and, so, and then you do this, check. That's not how a marriage will last. A marriage will last when the eternal God of eternal love is at the center of your marriage relationship. As you relate to him, as you trust him, press into Christ, know him, Trust him, obey him, submit to him. The Bible calls both husbands and wives to do so. In other words, approach marriage in a spiritual way. You know, you you come to church and you expect church to be a spiritual experience, don't you? Well, your marriage is a spiritual experience too. It is based in your relationship with Christ. That's a lasting bond. That's what a cord of three strands consists of. Secondly, marriage, a spiritual marriage is a loving union. It's a very special and unique relationship like no other human relationship. It's not just a contract between two individuals. It's not like a roommate agreement that Sheldon has, you know. It's a special thing. Ephesians 5.31 says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. What an incredible miracle and mystery. Two people with two different personalities, with different stories, with different DNA, become one. 
Because God takes two lives and he makes them one new unit and he calls it one flesh. When we understand that, that that's what God does in marriage, then we can apply the rest and submitting to each other, respecting each other, loving each other makes more sense because we are one. You no longer think of what's mine and what's yours. You no longer think of what you can get out of the relationship. You realize that giving to your spouse is giving to yourself because you're one. Look at verses 28 again and 29. It says, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for the body. Sometimes it, it, it just doesn't feel like we're one because we're different. Husbands and wives have individual differences, individual preferences. My wife and I have a lot of things in common we like many of the same TV series. And we watch them together. We like pretty much the same kind of movies and we enjoy watching them together. We like hanging out with people and having fellowship and staying late at night after eating and laughing. We like watching football games and having people over when we do that. We like to travel. We like to try new restaurants and eat things that we haven't eaten before. We have very similar spiritual convictions. We like to take walks together. We like to do a lot of things together. There's a lot of things we have in common. The list just goes on. But we also are different. There's some things that, that we're very different about. I'm a morning person and my wife's a night owl. And I can present some challenges. She wants more cats. I don't. She likes having all the lights on in the house. She turns the lights on, she opens the blinds, and I mean, it's just like, you know, a studio there. So she goes into a room, she flips the lights on, I follow her into the room, I turn them off. She likes to have doors open, restroom doors open, bedroom doors open, even the back doors open, just in case a cat might wanna come in. So I go around and I close the doors because I like doors to be closed. She likes to keep the house cold. We don't need a refrigerator. <laughs> it's cold in there and the ceiling fans are on high. I don't like it so cold. You know, the other day this cool friend came in and uh, it was like 58 degrees. My wife was so happy. She opened the windows of the house at night. I woke up the next day and I was wearing my hoodie inside the house in my flannel pajamas. You know, we have differences. There are differences and, and there are things we have in common. And acknowledging our differences and valuing each other in spite of our difference, affirming each other is important. And then we affirm our oneness. We grow in love and respect toward one another. When, when, when we enjoy a meal together, when we enjoy an evening walk together, when we enjoy things that we both like, then we're happy. And then when, when I see my wife enjoying something that's not my preference, that's not my cup of tea, but I know that she's happy, then I'm happy because we're one. That's the way it works. That's what it means to have a, a loving union. I visited a, a relative of mine uh, recently and he has a, a new girlfriend and they found a house and they wanted to show us the house and so we, 
we went and uh, we talked to them uh, as they were just had just moved into the house and and we had a meal with them and it was an enjoyable time and then uh, I, I told them hey so uh, it's great you guys make a great couple and I'm glad you have a house and all but when are you guys going to get married and his answer to me was we don't need a paper and I said really I thought I didn't say more but I said Really, you really think that marriage is just about a paper? If, if, if that's your perspective, that's unfortunate. If people think that marriage consists of having a paper, no wonder they have trouble making their marriages work. A marriage is not a paper. Marriage is the union of two people who have committed themselves before God to love and respect one another for a lifetime. You may have a paper that gives evidence to that, but the paper doesn't make the marriage. Marriage is a loving union. It is a man and a woman becoming one flesh. Then thirdly, marriage is spiritual because it is a living testimony. The text contains practical advice for husbands and wives, which we'll touch on in a few moments. But before we get there, look at the summary that Paul gives in verses 32 and 33. This is the way he summarizes everything he says in, the, in this longer passage. He says, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Paul says in summarizing, he says, look, the marriage relationship is very much a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. Therefore, husbands should love their wives selflessly and wives should respect their husbands. But that's interesting because contemporary Christian psychologists have pointed out that a husband's biggest need is to be respected. Generally, if you want to make a husband happy, show him respect. If you want a husband to feel fulfilled and to feel loved, show him respect. And that's what the Bible is talking about here. And, and, and generally, women, their, their greatest need is to be loved. If you want to see a wife happy, if you want to see a wife smile, tell her you love her. Tell her you love her. Don't just say, well, I already told you once. I don't tell you again. I bring home the paycheck, don't I? That's not. Tell her you love her. It doesn't cost you anything. And then show her that you love her. Now, does the husband need to be loved? Yes. Does the wife need to be respected? Yes. But, but, but the way that God made us is so that we would receive respect and love accordingly. And they began with mutual submission. Verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, submission is a, a voluntary deference to the other person. It is the laying down of our own preferences and our own needs for the sake of the other. And it comes more naturally. Submission comes more naturally when you love the other person. It is voluntary. It is, it is not something that you force someone to do, but it is a willful commitment to submit. A spiritual marriage begins with mutual submission. Then Paul directs himself to the wives. 
And he tells them to submit themselves to their own husbands. That's unto the Lord. Look at uh, the message paraphrase, verses 22 to 24. It says, wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Now it's interesting that Paul will direct himself to the wives because you, you gotta remember this is a first century ancient world uh, setting. And usually in that setting, people only wrote to men. So when Paul is writing to the wives directly, instead of writing to the husbands and says, husbands tell your wives such and such, he's telling the wives directly, he's acknowledging that they're sisters in Christ, that they have been called and they are accountable for that calling. And so uh, he talks to them in that way and he highlights the submission in this sense is not something that a husband demands from the wife, but something that the wife does voluntarily. It does not say, husbands, make sure your wife submit to yourself. It speaks to the wives. It is a voluntary giving. And then Paul has specific instructions for the husbands. He tells husbands to love their respective wives as Christ loved the church. Listen to the message, verse 25. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. Now that's the highest standard. It blows my mind that the husband should love his wife as Christ loved the church. Do you know how much Christ loves the church? You know what Christ has done for his church? I mean, I love my wife and I hope I love her a lot. But when I think that the standard is loving her like Christ loves the church, man, I'm convicted. I got a lot of growing to do. But that is the standard. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now notice again that, the, that Paul is addressing husbands for their responsibility. He's not saying, wives, you make sure your husband loves you. He's not saying, look, this is a conditional thing. Wives, you make sure he loves you. Husbands, you make sure she submits. And, and if they don't do their part, then you don't have to do your part. It's a 50-50 arrangement. That's not what this is. The model for this is Christ. You think about it. What would have happened if Christ was uh, on his throne in heaven before coming to be born? And he said, well, I'm not going to go down there until you guys make some promises to me. What if Christ had gone to Calvary and right before being crucified, says, I'm not going to get on the cross until you guys make some commitments. You guys do your part and I'll get on the cross. And Christ didn't do that. He looked down from heaven and he loved us so much that he came down to be born in a manger. 
He came among us, took our shape and our form, our suffering. He walked among us. He lived among us. And then he went to the cross and and offered his life willingly, voluntarily. He poured it out so that one day you and I could voluntarily respond in love, not by obligation, not by subjugation, not by domination, but by love, a love that responds to that kind of love. And that's the model, that's what we're being called to do. Ultimately, the way that we as husbands and wives relate to one another is a living testimony of God's redemptive love. That's what the passage says. It says, the way husbands and wives relate to each other is a picture, living picture, an object lesson of the way that Christ relates to the church. That means that everyday husbands and wives, we're proclaiming the gospel, right? If our relationship is a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church, then as a married couple, we are giving witness to God's love and redemption. What kind of preacher are you being? What kind of witness are you being in your marriage relationship? Now, I want to make something clear here in, in closing that this analogy of marriage to Christ and the church does not by any means signify that men are superior to women. Now, Christ is superior to the church, that's sure. But, but that's not what this passage is saying in regard to men and women. Throughout the entire Bible, God gives women prominence that they, even in the ancient world, did not enjoy. There are leaders in the Bible like Miriam. There are books in the Bible named after women like Esther and Ruth. There were prophetesses in the, in the, in the Old Testament and New Testament. There were women who followed Jesus and supported Jesus' ministry. It was women who preached the first Easter sermon at the empty tomb. They said, he's alive. It, it was women who, who were deaconesses and supporters of Paul's ministry. He writes to them and, and recognizes them in his letters. And then he says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, when we're in Christ, all of us are on equal footing. We relate to Christ directly. Our calling and our accountability is direct to God. It's not about a hierarchy. There is no spiritual hierarchy in Christ. Anyone who uses this Ephesian passage to suggest that women are inferior to men is misusing it and misapplying it. That's not the design. What God is saying to us here is that the way that Christ and the church relate to one another, love each other, submit to each other, respect each other, that's the way that a husband and a wife should relate. That is his design. For believers, marriage is a spiritual thing. It is a lasting bond that begins in a relationship with Christ. It is a loving union of two individuals in one flesh. It is a living testimony of God's redemptive love. The way that we relate to one another is a proclamation 
of the gospel that's convicting, challenging, exciting. So if you're married or you plan to be married, this is a good reminder of the high value and the power of Christian marriage, how spiritual it is, how sacred it is, how important it is for the gospel. Our discipleship is lived out in the marriage relationship for those that are married. Now, if you're single and you, and you plan to stay single, you honor Christ with your singleness. Paul talked about that. I, I don't have time for that today, but Paul talked about being single and honoring God as a single person. Being married is not more spiritual than being single or the other way around. You honor God by knowing Christ and you honor God by respecting others and loving others out of that relationship. So allow your single life to honor God as well. And then pray and support marriages so that they can honor God. Married people pray for single people. Single people pray for married people. So what is your response today as you hear God's word? Perhaps the, the very first thing that you need to do is to come to a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ. Maybe that's, that's where you need to start to, to have a savior that can change you from the inside out so that all of your relationships can flow out of that relationship. So today maybe you need to trust Jesus as savior and Lord. You need to acknowledge that you can't do it alone, that you're a sinner, that he died on the cross to forgive all your sins and that he rose from the dead to give you the power to live a new life. Maybe you need to trust him. Maybe you're a husband today that says, boy, I, I really need God to help me love my wife as Christ loved the church. I, I need to figure out what that means. Or maybe, maybe you're a wife here and, and you need to say, I need to figure out how to respect my husband as, as unto the Lord, a, a spiritual thing. Maybe you need to sign up for Weekend to Remember. It's next weekend. And say, I'm going to go and invest in my marriage. Maybe that's your commitment today. Maybe you're a single and you're saying, I want my single life to honor God. Maybe you want to follow the Lord in believers' baptism or you want to join Calvary. You don't join Calvary just by attending. You, you make a, a specific commitment and you give witness that you're a follower of Jesus and you've been baptized as a believer and that you want to be committed to this fellowship, to, to work with us, to be disciple makers, and to be accountable for that call in your life. Would you bow your head for just a moment and think about what it is that God is calling you to do today? As you meditate on that, we can stand to our feet and continue in an attitude of reverence. Let's stand together and continue to think about how God is speaking to us right now. Father, as we've opened your word, we've been reminded of your, your design, how our Marriages as Christ followers should honor you. So we pray, Father, for every single married couple here, 
at Calvary. That we would have your power to become the marriage that you want us to be. For those who are preparing for marriage, we pray that, that you help them fall in line with, with your love and your principles. For those who are single, we thank you for their lives and we pray that you help them live out their calling as single people. But most of all today, we also ask that you bring people to your knowledge that if there's someone here who hasn't trusted you as Savior and Lord, that today they can pray that prayer. Say, God, I know I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I need your power. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and you rose from the grave to give me life. Be my Savior. Be my King. I want to follow you right now. Hear our prayer. Seal our commitments. For we pray in Christ's name. As you continue to respond to God's word, let's sing together. <laughs>